I had this passion, I feel like, inside of me where I just wanted to be around music. And I remember telling my mom, like, I just want to be around music. Like, can I make a living doing this? You know, that was my only goal. It has since blossomed into this incredible thing where now we get to raise up young composers and help them live the lives of their dreams. I'm Gabriella Tavacoli-Bailey, and I've worked in unscripted television as an executive producer and TV executive doing what I love most, storytelling. I'm an extremely curious person, and I decided to do this podcast so I can dig in and learn about fascinating people living extraordinary lives. And I called up my very talented friend, Aurelie Minazad, who is a writer and journalist, and together we are going to learn about people's journeys and provide you with a fun listen and a good time. Welcome to Tell Us Something We Don't Know. Oh my oh, God! Oh, he's blessing us with his presence, wow. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Russell, Gabriella, yo! Oh, I mean, oh. he's hanging out in his Rolls Royce. Oh my out God! On camera. <laughs> Look sorry. at that! <laughs> mobile these days. I'm moving. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, your audio is actually pretty, pretty solid. So that's good. Perfect. I will say the speaker sound system in here is second to none. Blew me away. Oh, in, the, in the Rolls Royce, amazing. Wow. Can't go wrong. Wait, yeah. is it really a Rolls Royce? Yeah, it's not a. It's not a filter. Oh my god! Camilla, that's the coolest selfie flex I've ever taken. You could see the Rolls. mark on the back seat. It says, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh my god. Well, I, um, I'm in my closet, so, you know. <laughs> All right. So today we're here with Russell Howard, David Lasman, and Adam Malka, who are the co-founders of Signature Tracks, a music production company focused on bringing current sounds to TV series, commercials, and films. Welcome, guys. Hey, hey, hey. Thank hey. you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, no, thank you guys. So break down exactly what you, I know I just kind of explained it, but like, you know, what, what do you guys do? What's your company all about? Um, so Signature Tracks is, um, we are essentially a music label and music production house for television, commercials, film, trailers, and media. Um, we are um, a creative house led by Russell Howard, who's a, a several time ASCAP winning, uh, incredible composer, honored as you know, for the most performances in television, we write music and sonically brand wall to wall. Many of your favorite reality unscripted uh, TV series. We do um, projects across the board from uh, major network to cable network to streaming and on demand. We work from, you know, everything from recently top chef on Netflix wall to wall. Um, to The Bachelor and The Housewives of Salt Lake City on Bravo. Um, across the board, we have our hands in probably over 100 series at a time. We've been in business about 14 years. Um, David Lassman is my co-founder, along with Russell Howard. Um, David's background, he can get into a bit. But um, we love what we do, and we're three best friends that grew up in Philadelphia. We are from the East Coast. We've been best friends since we're 10 years old, and we started our company 14 years ago. I love it. You know, we've obviously all worked together before, and I've known you guys for a handful of years. And when I think about 
when I call you guys, it's usually I get a cut for a show and the first rough cut and the music comes back and I'm just like, oh my God, this is horrible. And then I give you guys a call and I'm like, please help save the day. And you do your magic and it's amazing. And it's incredible. So that's, that's my experience in the unscripted world, but you guys do a bunch of different things. And I think before we kind of go into it all, what hat do you guys each wear in, in the business? So Dave, what do you do? specifically yeah you know i have connections in the industry obviously from producing shows so i'm you know business development sales and kind of manage you know and oversee our administration team make sure that we're fulfilling orders adam you know negotiates a lot of our deals he music supervises a lot of our shows and russell is you know a head creative he's creating the you know the sounds of a lot of these shows he's mentoring a lot of the composers and um, and then, you know, we all kind of like group together on some of the bigger, bigger deals and strategize. Awesome. OK, so I think, Gabriella, you probably understand more what they do than I do. So I'm going to ask you guys a lot of very stupid questions. <laughs> Just, you Please know, do. Yeah, yeah. when I learned what you guys do and I thought about it, I'm like, oh, my God, yes, somebody has to be creating these tracks in the background. Yeah. But nobody nobody realizes all the work that goes behind the scenes. So, so how does it work from the very beginning? Does a show come to you and say, you have to watch the whole thing and you guys say, well, here we'll do this, here we'll do that? Or do they give you cues in advance? Or yeah. what? How do, you, how do you do it? How do you actually do it? That is a great question. Um, so essentially... Um, Typically, we work um, directly with producers and showrunners to master creative vision um, from like a project's inception, like an entire series from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, often the co-EPs and the producers have an idea of, of sounds they might like for a series. So we'll pitch them on, on sounds and ideas and, and conceptualize like a, a, a starting point of like a sound palette. Like what is the style guide musically for a project? Um Often, like Russell um, is a, is in a music genius, so like from inception, we're picking his brain. You know what sounds are fresh, what styles are current. Like how do we make this sound different, but also fit within the sound of the network? In unscripted, um, it's really important. The sound tells you the barometer of how comedic, how tense, um, how you know what is the mood like. So Russell has navigated and threaded the needle of like creating sounds that can exemplify like both tension and comedic at the same time that can serve um, really well, you know, a cast member who fu- who's finding something really serious and distressing, but to us as the viewer, it's like really humorous, you know? So there's, there's a lot of um, nuances that are very, um, you know, really dialed in, um, upon, you know, us being seasoned in the industry, but typically it starts with a sound palette. Russ can tell you a little bit more about his creative process. It's like a lot of times there'll be a show, there'll be an idea of the show. Yeah. And then the executive producer, or one of the producers will have a music vibe in their head, right? Or the network. And sometimes they'll have a, like a playlist, a Spotify playlist or an Apple playlist that they'll send me or send us references of known songs that are out there. The weekend, Lana Del Rey, Tyga, Drake, whatever. And then it's my job to translate our job to translate, you know, from their minds to the, to the sound. And so I'll listen to the playlist uh, in about five seconds. No, I'm kidding. I'll listen to the playlist <laughs> and then um, I'll, I'll just digest it and I'll get a vibe and I'll get a feel for it. And then from there, I'm like, okay, I got it. 
they want this meets this meets this. And that just comes from years of experience, you know, like 30 years of making, making beats, literally making tracks. And then from there, I just start creating sounds in that, in that vibe, yeah. in that ener- same energy as these, tra- not soundalikes, you know, not ripping them off, okay. but just an energy. Yeah. And then it, the music kind of unfolds and I, I'm really big and I share this with all my composers. Art has a life of its own. You know, it really does. I'm not going to get too new agey, but most of my job is just to let it unfold. Yeah. Let the music unfold. It's going to find a home, you know, get out of its way. And then we'd start trying a trial and error, sending some stuff off a first drop of music off. They place it in. Oh, this is working. Oh, I'm really liking this track. Then it's a conversation. Then it's feedback back and forth collaboration. Um, And then it just goes from there. The tricky part, is when it's several different shows on one network, you know, which is a network usually kind of has a sound, right? You right. know, Bravo, you just, it's kind of got a vibe, a sound, why, hence it's a network, you know? So then how do you take different shows on the same network and each give them their own identity, right? right. And so that's where it, 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 it takes a little bit um, of focus on that and, and the specifics you know, the greatness measured by seconds and inches, the specifics. And so a Housewives of Orange County is going to sound different than a Housewives of Beverly Hills. You might not be able to like sit there. The viewer might not be able to sit there or you may, but and go, yeah. this is sounding different because of this. It's not about that. It's not an intellectual. No. It's an experiential. Yeah. So when they hear it, they just experience a little bit di- of a different vibe. You understand? No, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because I've never sat there and said, "Oh, well, this is more of it." It's, it's just you. It, it's kind of like you're feeding to me yes. what my vibe is going to be, exactly. and then that's yes. how I build my person, uh, you know, impersonation of like what these people are and who they are. Exactly. Yeah. What about with lyricals? Because more and more we're kind of infusing lyricals in our shows, and how has that kind of changed the game? Because I'm sure you guys are also seeing that as well, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just I've been doing a lot of vocal tracks myself again. I started as a rapper when I was 11 years old. Uh, my brother found out that I was listening to New Kids on the Block and he got really upset. And uh, it's a true story. And so uh shout out to New Kids on the Block. And um and he was like, "Nah." So he took me to, you know, like a Tower Records or Sam Goody and he showed me Public Enemy and NWA. I was 11, right? <laughs> So I'm one of those guys where if I'm into something, I'm jumping in. I don't, I don't look, I'm leaping. Right. And so I'm writing raps in my head, walking to the bus stop. I'm not going to take up too much time. Long story short, I was like, I need my own songs. I need to make beats. So basically that started my own, my whole career is that I dipped off out of the suburbs into the inner city you know, got taken in by some kids that were basically telling me what not to do. Don't rap like that. Don't make beats like, this. you know what I mean? I'm the only white kid. It's a beautiful experience. And that was it. And that, and that's how I, I made beats, et cetera, et cetera. So to answer your question, going back to vocals is very nostalgic for me, youthful for me. And the way I create it is I'll make a track, but then again, the, the track will speak to me. The track, if I really listen the track will tell me what to talk about. Right. Yeah. He's actually an incredible rapper. We, he, uh, like his raps from like 10, 12 years ago are still getting placed on shows. Right. Really? So thank, I... Yeah. yeah. 
then in comes, let's translate it, right? Like I'm mindful and then goes, okay, well, this is going to be for TV. So as like, I'm thinking of lyrics in my head, yes, I'll be like, okay, ooh, that's a line that I know will resonate on this show or resonate on that. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so, yeah. but there is a formula for that. Like most of these shows, they don't want full three minute songs. You don't need that because the editor, it, yeah. you know, it's going to come out of the, the, the commercial, a nice montage B-roll shot, like a, you know, a nice little catchy hook explaining the scene to come and boom, then we're out. We're into underscore, you know? Yeah. So you guys have a very short time to do all the things that you're talking about. I mean, it's like, it's not like a full track that you're putting on. It's just, you need to be able to catch this vibe in like, you know, 20 seconds or something. Yes. Right. Yes. We, we, the track will last about a minute. Right. But yes, like the, the, the meat of it. Yeah. It's, you got, you know, 15, 20 seconds, you're in, you're out. Sometimes they'll let tracks play a little longer, but most of those tracks are like uh, comedic tracks or what they call underscore like tasking tracks while someone is doing something, mm. not with vocals, you know, going on. I could keep on going and going, but I don't know. <laughs> but you know, I will say, Gabriella, to add about vo- lyric ups and songs. So as we've seen streaming grow so much, you know, there's what we've noticed in the industry is just there's just a need for more and more premium music, music that kind of sounds like what you'd hear on the radio. I mean, that's kind of how we cut our teeth and started our company was, you know, Russell's background is he, he was producing music. He, he um, produced two songs for Jay-Z um, that started his career. And, you know, we took an approach 14 years ago, which was, you know, back then you wouldn't even hear hip hop music in, you know, interjected in into TV. And we just took this approach from the gate was how can we sh- make these shows sound cool? Um, that was something that hadn't been done before. There's a lot of wallpaper or orca- orchestral music that was very kind of well-known and then it's just grown tremendously since then. You know, now as streaming content has grown, there's like this race for how much more can we level up and make premium sound. So as a result, we've got incredible artists that are part of our team, like vocal artists, and we write lots of different songs for television. Um, there's just there's a need for it. Um, and there is a formula, but we go after finding really incredible up and coming artists and um and that that premium sound has really also permeated within our instrumental and underscore sounds so like we're um we're always dialing in on what's current and what's fresh so like i was just on a call for below deck down under season three and we were doing exactly what russell said we were referencing some songs i was playing an artist i like uh his name's fred again um and we were just referencing like you know, what's current, what's fresh, how do we interject that in underscore? So, you know, we were listening as well to Rufus De Soul, and there's all these like underwater sounding brassy synth hits. And we're just talking with production. How can we implement that? You know, is that going to be fresh? Is that, is that a lane we want to go in? Is it going to be a different lane? Are we going to be inspired by, you know, Drake's new collaboration with 21 Savage? So, you know, for someone like me, that's not a music expert, but but I will say I want something fresh. Do you guys ever um, it's like anything like fashion, for example, you know, what's ha- going to you're you're ahead of it. And, and that's what, what your expertise is. So is it ever a frustrating time where you're you know, you, you go to a producer and they're like, you told me fresh here is fresh. And they're like, oh, no, no that's 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 too like no. And then like six months down the line, it's exactly what, do you have those experiences? It happens all the time. In fact, it's kind of a, 
Like we went through a Kygo phase years ago and we were just saying, listen, these sounds are popping. And then it can take like time for the, for the network's ears to kind of catch up. But it's usually, we almost can time it just like fashion. You know, you go to Europe, there's certain fashion coming to the States and you know, in six months, it's going to be everywhere. It's kind of like that with certain music trends that are way ahead of the port, you know, and we are up on that. Um, you know, one of our composers, his first part of his day is he spends an hour listening to everything that's current before he even writes music he needs to be up to date so um yes we we are definitely love kind of trend casting the sounds and and implementing them in in our score that's really fun also and russell can talk about this more but also sometimes what's fresh isn't great for content you know it's a, right. there, there's like slow beats out there um that that are really chill that that, that won't push along content so I'm sure Russ can talk about it, but it's like finding the balance of how you put, how you take this sound, but then push it and make it good for shows. Yeah. But are are all you three like in agreement usually, or do you say like, will you say, oh, this would work, and another one is like, no, that sounds stupid, or like, are you, or are you guys always on like the same page and you understand each other? I think with music, musical, we're pretty much we're pretty much styled in and all on the okay. same page. They they give yeah. me a lot of leeway too. If I'm like, guys, this is this is this is not it, you know what I mean? Or this isn't gonna or trust me on this, let's push the limit a little bit. They've been um really flexible with giving me that leeway. But like to what Dave was saying is he's right. You know, it's like I'm a big fan of actually of the new Drake and 21 Savage album. Like it's it's one of my favorite rap albums that I've heard in a, in a while. And so I was listening to it and you know one time actually I think it was with Viacom. I forget where Adam I know we did this where we literally had to show the network or some executives that were asking for certain songs, modern hip hop songs. So let me try to not make this too technical. Yeah. Modern hip hop songs are very, very inundated with like heavy 808. Boom, that's that boom. Okay. Then what they do is they take like lead synths or pianos and stuff. And they filter it, which means okay. they make it sound like underwater and stuff. So if you listen to a modern hip hop song, the vocals are very prominent, they're very in your face. Yeah. And really the most what you mostly hear is the drums and the hi-hat that it gives it that bounce. OK, it works when there's a vocalist. However, if you take that rapper off that track. That uh, beat is going to sound very minimal. Yeah. It's not a knock. I'm not knocking any of the producers out there. No, 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 but it's going right. to sound minimal and almost like the, the executives would be like, this doesn't, this sounds dry or this sounds yeah. naked. It you doesn't know? serve your purpose. Exactly. It doesn't yeah. create. So there have been times where we've had to say, look, with all due respect, these are the songs that you said, let's try to like in the vibe of, we're going to show you the instrumentals of them on YouTube without the vocalist they were like whoa wow what do we do so then it becomes my job go to all my composers and say listen you got to create put on top of these beats some sounds that it's a marriage that's the thing it's this beautiful marriage of like modern music meets music that can work on tv but i think the reason why russell's bringing that up gabriella is Often producers may not be up to date on what's fresh, but they'll talk in terms of like what they might hear on, you know, on radio or they, you know, so a lot of times we are getting these references of like, I want it to sound like Olivia Rodrigo's hit song, or I want it to sound like this. And often we kind of have a process, we're able to educate our clients on 
we can try anything out, which is great. I feel very confident we're up to any kind of task. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of finding that, threading that needle of um, how to implement what they're inspired by. But often producers are really inspired by kind of like everything you hear that's out there that's you know, popping like hit single. They talk and, you know, we're, our clients talk to us in references often of like what they're inspired by, sometimes what their kids are inspired by, you know? Right. So the yeah. new Taylor Swift album, I assume, is, <laughs> is, is Midnight top. is the new jam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. So, Dave, tell us about your, you guys have been friends since high school, right? In Philly. Elementary school. Elementary school. Oh, my gosh. they were 10. Oh, my gosh. So you guys are, are you all the same age, same grade? And bring us back to when you guys first met and and take us through, which is incredible that the three best friends have had this amazingly successful company and you guys all seem to really like each other. So take, take us back. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Yeah, but, so we, you know, we met in elementary school. We went to elementary, middle, and high school together, and then we, uh, and and then basically, you know, we grew up with Kobe Bryant, uh, the basketball oh, player. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He oh. wanted to come out with a rap album. Russell, he knew Russell, you know, made beats, you know, and, and was a music producer, and so he asked Russell to come out and produce it. So Russell came out to produce it. I said, "Hey, I just want to join. I want to be part of the music video, right?" So I moved out. <laughs> To try to be part of the music video. Adam, luckily, was, was in college and business school. Wait, sorry. So how how old are you at this point? And, and nineteen. So, so at nineteen years old, Russell oh. Kobe Bryant reaches out to you and says, "Yeah," and says he wants you to. It's the craziest thing, ever, right? It's like it's. So surreal. he was a musician. So, at, he initially wanted to be a musician. Is that no, well? Not a lot of people know this. About, so okay, so everyone was so fascinated by Kobe in high school with the basketball. I didn't care. I cared about. Let's just be honest. I cared about making music, girls, and weed. You know what I mean? Like at that time. So, amen, amen, Russell. Like so, I never asked him about basketball. We just would talk about <laughs> lyrics, and not many people know this, but he knew like. Hey, start to finish he had like a photographic memory of like nas jay-z he just majorly pat wu-tang so we connected off that so there was a familiarity so when he became a pro a laker you know his best friend this guy anthony from philly and i connected and basically they were like we're gonna form a group around kobe kind of like wu-tang let's go find the best rappers in philly and form this group and so we were like sent off in a mission and then track masters Columbia it took a little while. They signed us and I was brought out to LA amongst this group of us. And we were in the studio for about a year and a half making an album. So at 19 years old, you, you come out and then Dave is just like, I want to be a part of this. Like, <laughs> this sounds amazing. And you said, Dave, where were you at in your life at that point? 
I was like half kind of going to college classes and yeah. half not, you know. <laughs> so, but you weren't so in LA yet. I was in Florida with Russell. Uh, we were like barely going to school. I knew it wasn't like what I was gonna do. I had I thought like there's no way I'm gonna finish this, you know. Um, I wanted to be a part of something bigger. So um, so yeah, so I moved out here. We we shot the music video. Um Russell was in it. Russell actually did like a halftime show at the uh NBA All-Star game. And, um, you know, Hype Williams directed it. He was like the biggest, you know, music video director in the game. Yeah. And I should have said, hey, can I get an internship? But instead, I was like, here's what we need to do. <laughs> I'll tell you what you did. <laughs> gave him all my ideas. And um, and anyway, it didn't lead to more work. But but uh, through that, Russell met um, Jay-Z. Russell was in the studio with Kobe producing. Jay-Z walked in and, and said, um, you know, let me hear your beats. Russell played him and, and he bought two two tracks for volume three and that catapulted Russell's career. So I'll let him talk about that and then we can go back into the story. Yeah, it's just like it's a it was one of those divinely orchestrated things. I, I really believe that. So the Kobe album didn't come out by Kobe's choice eventually. We released a single, but he just was like, mm, not loving the direction this is going. I think I'm just gonna fall back. However, I had met a lot of artists during that time. So I worked with Destiny's Child during that time, BDC, like a lot of people were coming in the studio, but obviously the Jay-Z thing, when my two song that produced two tracks on one of his albums with my name in the credits, which is very essential. And so when that came out, my life actually, you hear this, but it like literally did change very quickly wow. within, within a couple of weeks, if that, you know, yeah. where my dad was getting, my mom and dad were getting calls like at their house, you know, and stuff like that. And so then I had like a run. I don't, you know, take too much of this time, but I had a run as like a producer for artists, et cetera. I went back to Philly, worked at a label and, and all this stuff. And then, um, and then fast forward, um, around 2004 ish, five ish. Um, I got taken in by Babyface, um, and I was an in-house producer. There was like a team of us, like it was like a factory and, you know, just doing a lot of tracks, submitting tracks for other artists, labels, but they also had a television a department where Tracy was running and they started doing this show college Hill on BET. Right. Mm, yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. So, so Babyface, he pulled me aside one time and he said, look, man, I've seen you make music. You're really fast and you can do all different genres. I think there's something for you here. And then uh. and he was like, he basically was like, don't put all your, your eggs in one basket, but like chasing artists. Right. Yeah. And that was it. He like walked away and I was like, okay, whatever. And then, so I was like making these beats. And I remember the first time I heard them on TV and I was like, I can do this is easy. I can do it. However, I didn't fully understand it. And I had a I was very ego driven still at that point where my identity was a lot based in, you know, being known or producing for artists, et cetera. So when Dave pitched this idea to me, let's start this company for TV, I knew enough about it, but I wasn't like impressed. Right. So I said no. You know, I was like, nah, whatever. But you know, the blessing of it was that um Adam and Dave were able to see the vision take the catalog that i had and adam had a lot of had some tracks too a lot of tracks and we had this one other composer um michael bazaar and we were able to form a, a, a catalog and dave was able to hands-on because dave was in the base right the editing base so and, and, and part of that brilliance was the um the way that the categories were labeled and named were different than other libraries they were named like tangible that you could feel it it wasn't just like 
rock 101 uh-huh. you know yeah so the editors resonated with that that's huge yeah. that makes that all yeah. the difference i mean and it's a simple thing but you would be surprised because that's not how it was i mean editors would complain about that all the time so that's um just the usability and the easiness of it going back dave comes out he's conducting traffic while you're doing your your beats and then adam you're uh yeah. what are you doing so at that time i was I was um, studying business at the University of Wisconsin. So I would, I was like totally different than these guys. I left, uh-huh. we leave high school. Dave and Russ go down to Florida, they're partying. I would go visit them. I'm like, these guys are in a whole different way. You know, I'm like, I'm in the business school. I want to be like an you know, entrepreneur. And then they move out to LA and I'd go visit them. And I remember the first time I came to LA, I'm on the set of this Kobe Bryant video, sh- you know, video shoot with Hype Williams and, and my best friend David's like co-directing or whatnot and with sitting in the chair next to Hype Williams, Russell's there, produced a track and it's the same, it was actually at the same video where Kobe met his wife, Vanessa. And I was oh. like, this is, whoa, what's going on? What are these guys doing? But I was so ingrained in college at the time. I just felt like, I was like, these guys are on a whole different wave than me. I'm, I'm doing my college thing. I'll see you guys soon. And I, and I moved out to LA about like a year later and I watched Russell's career blossom, but I didn't have any part in music or entertainment. I worked for a family company and I was doing sales, which really actually, you know, really blessed my ability to work with clients now. But I was working with uh, like a family startup business in LA, working with attorneys. I had really demanding clients. I was multitasking, like all these temps that were working at law firms. And and then I had success in it, but I wasn't happy. So I'd see other people in LA. Like this is an LA story because I would, I remember I was working in an office in Century City. I'm like 22, 23. I started making great money, but I felt like I was, you know, like I'm in wearing a suit to work. I was like, everyone in LA is pursuing the dreams. I was kind of like, what am I doing? You know? And, you know, I went through like a breakup in my mid twenties and I went to Russ for fun. We would just like, I would break out a guitar. I grew up playing guitar and I would, you know, write down like, like I'd play like riffs and Russell started adding like beats around like guitar riffs. And this is well before it was like a common thing, but I was really inspired just watching Russell's talent. And I just wanted to be around him. And I spent a couple of years just soaking up his experience of his, you know, and it, he just graciously taught me how to mentor me, taught me how to produce. And and I was just like somehow involved in his writing camp and blessed for it. And so I did that for a couple of years. And David approached uh, both of us to start a company, you know, servicing television. And I kind of thought it was a joke. Um, I had since left in, you know, and I thought it was a joke, but I was like, let me take my background in business. And I'm telling you, like I was hand to mouth in LA. I was selling stuff on Craigslist out of my apartment and I would make beats at home. Like I would like listen to what Russell would tell me to do. You know, like I'd make a track. I'd spend a month on a song. I'd show it to Russ. He'd be like, oh, that's cute. That's like work on this. It's not there yet. And I got better. I remember spending a year making, learning kick programming, drums and, you know, and my friends would come over to my apartment and be like, oh, that's cute what you're doing, you know, but I just... I had this passion, I feel like, inside of me where I just wanted to be around music. And I remember telling my mom, like, I just want to be around music. Like, can I make a living doing this? You know, that was my only goal. It has since blossomed into this incredible thing where now we get to raise up young composers and help them live the lives of their dreams, which is amazing. But um, I remembered, you know, David approached us and thought it was a joke. We spent about six months just thinking of the name signature tracks, you know, <laughs> the name. like the name was important, you know, 
And I remember Dave and I were like on the beach, you know, like I think we're riding bikes or something, Venice Beach, talking about it, mulling it over. We took all of like all of like a lot of Russell's music and my music, put it together in our first iteration of a library. What was cool was, you know, we're all from Philly. Philly people were like hustlers, you know, like there's something about like, give us, there's something in the water from Philly. Like we just have this like kind of go get it work ethic. So um, a lot of our friends were in production that came out to LA. We've got friends. We've got the Duffy brothers that are part of ugly brothers production. We've seen like guys come up from Philly and some of them gave us breaks. And one of them was our friend, Matt Duclo. He was working on a CW series. So it was a few weeks after we were open for operations. He brought us in there. He brought me in there and he's like, we're firing the composer on this six out, you know, six episode order for CW, a show called Hitched or Ditched. It was a show about couples that have one week to have the wedding of their dreams or they break up at the altar. And it was like Jesus. classic reality, reality TV. TV. Yeah. 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 Classic. So they just were like, look, we're, we fired the composer. We're bringing you guys in and you guys are going to compose the show. And as a result of that, we had this experience I don't think other companies in our lane have is our first gig was we were behind and in post-production. And Gabriella knows all about that world. Is You know, we were sitting, I was sitting there with the showrunner, the producer, the lead editor, and, and figuring out what they needed. While that was happening, Russell was working till five in the morning. We, we didn't even, like our library did service the whole series. So we had to create music. If we didn't have it, we were creating. It didn't matter what our contract yeah. was. So the first gig we had you know, Russell was working at five in the morning every night. We were going ham. And somehow we did wall to wall in the series within like a month or so. And that was like the inception of our, of us working together. And it was pretty crazy. And that Russell will tell you, we're like, Hey, we have clients that pay us on time. You know, <laughs> it was a whole different world, you know? So, this, so basically Dave's vision is from that experience, which you that, guys mocked, right? Which you guys and I and I joked and I, Dave, I joked about you, you know, coming out for the music video conducting traffic. But you at nineteen, when you just said you wanted to come out and be a part of that project, you were actually you gave yourself a role and you made it right. Yeah, I was like, talk a little bit about that because I I asked that because I think it's such a great example of who you are and how you make your visions and your dreams come true. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, so um, on that, yeah, I, g- I gave myself a role, I guess. Like Kobe allowed me, and the, the, you know, the group allowed me to be a part of it. Um, and then, and then, yeah, like years later, it was like years later when I started in television and started at the lowest level, kind of worked my way up, and then you know was just sitting in the editing base and hated the music, you know, and didn't like the way it was organized. And I said, my friends make better music than this. Like, let's yeah. just make some extra, you know, money. Um, and see where it goes. And so and so that's kind of how we did it. Talk a little bit more, though, about your background and being a producer, because you worked your way up the ladder. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I was a production assistant. I was 26 years old at this time. I was a production assistant. I was feeling kind of pressure to um, to catch up to everybody who had been working from 19 to 26 and then, um, you know, in, on their career. So I was really hustling then, you know, um, immediately. What happened was I I would, you know, make sure everybody had their lunch, had their coffee, had everything. And then I asked the director of photography, can I shoot the crew eating lunch, you know? 
and then you just show me what's wrong, show me what's going on. So I would make sure you got your mustard, you got your mayo. Okay, I'll pick up the camera and I would shoot them having lunch. And the crew's looking at me like I'm nuts, right? <laughs> but we would go back and we would review yeah. it. And he's like, okay, you're, you know, you need to have them on this side of the camera. You need to have them on this side of the frame. And then they would teach me and they said, all right, you're never going to be a PA again, right? So then I got into assistant camera work. And so I was working as assistant camera on Ultimate Fighter and a bunch of other shows. And I'm like, oh, people pay you to like travel and go places. This is fun. And you're learning about different things. And then um, it was back in the day when they were using shoulder cams. And it was like, uh, you know, I don't know, it was hard on my back. And I always loved the story department. I always loved like I had written a script. At that point, I was always interested in story. So I got a job at the lowest level in story. And then probably a couple shows in, I met you on Nanny 911, right? Yep. Oh my building. way. I was on Nanny 911 so, too. So I must have seen you there too. That's you? right. Do you no know that Orly, Orly started out? She was my intern. Yes. And uh, she, yeah, you went. Did you ever go out in the field, Orly? Yes, all the time. So crazy. <laughs> so crazy. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so, and then, um, and then kind of worked my way up, you know, um, to, to co-executive producer over, you know, over the years. But when I was a mid-level producer is when I, you know, came to Russell and Adam with the idea and, uh, they were like, hell no, but Russell's like, <laughs> you ever made. And if it turns into something, I'm a part of it. I said, all yeah, right. Yeah. So we took all these hip hop beats and then, you know, we, we'd say, I think this one is like. It could have some drama in it, you know. Let's just let's just call this drama. I think this one has it's kind of fun, you know. We, we you know it's kind of comedic. Let's make this comedy, and then we just put together this library. And then I told people, you know, we have a company. Uh, Adam with his business background, he's like, let's get a DBA. I'm like, what's that? Like, doing business <laughs> as license. It wasn't even an LLC, but we kind of uh, formed this thing. And, uh, and started it. And then people, you know, really responded. Once we started creating, getting shows and creating music for those shows, people started responding. Russell was putting hip hop drums behind comedic beats and hip hop drums behind tension. People didn't even know what, what that was. They hadn't even heard that before. And we were like, we can't call this hip hop. We have, let's just call it something else like beat driven. And we still to this day have like beat driven comedy, beat driven because we didn't want to limit on an ultimate takeoff. We didn't want to say, oh, here's hip hop music. Because people would go, oh, hell no. But there's hip hop beats under this under this music. And so um, we kind of snuck snuck current in there without people knowing and, and built from there. And then we would have dance parties with Gabriella when she was running shows, signature so tracks, funny. dance parties where we play the music. People were dancing. True story. You know, yeah. Out the music, in Florida, so Apopka. And Russell, Russell, yep. what would what would you say to anyone? Because a lot of times you hear, do not ever go into business with your friends. Yeah. And you guys <laughs> have done that and you have done it successfully. So what would you say to, to people? Get a 12-step program. Get a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> This couldn't have been easy. It must have been some challenges along the way. Yeah, right? read a lot of the Four Agreements by Don Ruiz. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, you know, I mean, yes, there's truth in that, but I think it's been such a beautiful journey. At least speaking for myself, it's you know, growing as a man, learning to um, really use discernment and and when to 
to step back. It's really a relationship. Like it's a real relationship, you know, and, um, learning each other's strengths, um, triggers, you know, um, I feel like I'm an Instagram therapist right now. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and just, but having each other's back, it's been such, I mean, honestly, it's probably been the most beautiful relationship that I've had, you know, just building something with your two best friends. But you asked for the advice. I, I, I really mean this. I think, um, so much of it for me was, you know, um, look, holding accountable, being accountable, looking at my parts and things, right. Where I need to grow, where I need to be flexible, keep an open mind and, um, shifting from, I know it all to let me keep an open mind. And that it's really a blessing to have three of us. Um, there's been a lot of times that even the name, like I would have never named it signature tracks. It's too stock for me. I'm like, I'm not that guy, you know, mine would have been like mic drop records or like, you know, <laughs> you know, um, you know, there would have been like a, a curse in it or something like that. But, but, but me knowing like, okay, you know, Russell, like you move a little differently. Let's just keep an open mind here. And then the name works, you know, and stuff like that. And so I think it's a blessing. I love having three of us, um, where you can vote. It's really powerful. And, <laughs> and, but, but now honest, look, it's 15 years, but yeah, we definitely went, we definitely had some we had to learn each other's dance, some dance moves. There was no doubt about that, where we had to learn strengths and weaknesses and when to fall back. And, and, um, I think that's normal. I really think it's normal. And I'm going to say this last but not least, I really believe in keeping things as even and as fair as you can. If, if you're going to have like a company with your, a business partner or two business partners or whatever, because we're like a band, you know, in a way, and a lot of bands break up when that lead singer or whatever is getting more, et cetera, et cetera, and stuff. So I think keeping a level playing ground, humble and really honoring, I really try to honor Dave and Adam's strengths, you know, and, in, and constantly say it, affirm that, you know, and building each other up. This really does sound like a relationship. I'm like, can you give this <laughs> advice to my husband, please? Yeah. <laughs> Just keep validating me every five minutes. <laughs> I think everything Russell stands on point. I feel we spoke at UCLA, and then and per, you know people heard like each of us talk, and then one person raises their hand and says, "How do the three of you make decisions?" Right? Because we're yeah, all yeah. Three, like alpha type, whatever. But um, I think having three is is good, you know, because um, you can kind of like vote and talk about things like that. I think I think like big advice I would say in addition to what Russ said is really defining your roles, I think is really important. And, 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 you know, trusting the other person that they're, you know, they're, they may not do things the way that you would do it, but their role, you know, that that's their role and trusting that and kind of backing them. And it does sound like you guys all come with different strengths, which I think is really important, right? In having a business and, and making decisions and, and hearing each other mm -hmm. kind of, um, what you're bringing to the table. It's, it's important. I, I joke about this. This is, a, this is funny. This is just funny. So Russ and Adam, they're more art, you know, they're artistic and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, I'm more like dealing with them, like kind of like business, like whatever. Right. So we have this show, the Scott Disick, uh, flip it like Disick. Right. Uh -huh. And so um, the guy wasn't getting back to me and I was emailing him. He wasn't getting back to me and I was emailing him. He wasn't getting back and so Russ is like, all right, I got an idea. 
just say like what's up with disick spell disick wrong like you don't care like we're not desperate like we don't even care about this show <laughs> and i'm like that's a terrible idea russ is adam's like i love that i'm like all right right so i get out voted right i type this message like spelled wrong on purpose i send it so reluctantly like it made me cringe and then he hits right back boom and we get on the show there you go. You, it was funny, by the way, because when you guys first jumped on to, to the Zoom, so Dave, I could see you. Russ was a few minutes late, which was okay. But Dave, you were so like, okay, where is he? Let me text him. Like, I could see how you were. And then Adam is just showing us his plans. And, and it's like, and then Russ pops up in his Rolls Royce, like, what the dog? And I'm like, this is them. This yeah. is them. It's it's amazing. 100%. Right? 100%. It's just I will say like it feels surreal living my dream with my two best friends and like our partnership is our most long, like for me my most long-standing relationship. It, it really is like a marriage and it it takes work in a lot of communication and you know we've had different flows and different seasons. One time before we did the biggest deal of our life where we sold a, you know, where we partnered with a company strategically for an eight figure deal, you know, we met with a therapist, the three of us oh, and wow. talked about our goals and, our, and we got it, you know, and, and I was able to see, like, we were in different places. David was starting a family. He wanted security. And it was like, it, it was, it was more like, I was more like, you know, this deals, if this deal is going to go down, like I want my best friends to be like, I was took into consideration what their goals, what their dreams are. So often, you know, it's, it's a really interesting um, thing, the three of us together um, in this partnership. Um, and it's, it's been pretty amazing. Really grateful. Hope that sheds some light. Yeah. Ah, I love that. All right. We are going to shift over to rapid fire questions in a sec, but before we do, I don't know if you heard in the news, but the Hobby Lobby founder, David Green, um, he's giving away his company because he thinks wealth is a curse. And he felt that passing the company down to his children and grandchildren would have been the wrong move. What do you guys think about that, Dave? You're nodding your head. You have a daughter right now and cut, you know, 50 years from now. And what do you what do you think about the success that you guys have have created from the ground up from nothing to where you're at? But then what somebody like David Green is doing with his family and not passing it on. I want Eden to do my baby Eden to do whatever she wants to do. You know, if she wants to be in music, that'd be amazing. Um, certainly everything I'm doing now is to support, you know, her goals and, you know, and things like that. So. I mean, maybe I need to drink whatever he's drinking, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. have that kind of Buddhist mentality. But um, certainly I always think about passing things on to Eden, not even just the, you know, the financial aspects of it, but things I learned along the way and other people, you know, I mentor a lot of people, um, you know, different charitable works um, to pass along some of the, th a lot of the things that I learned. Yeah, I would add to that, like for me, it feels like a big blessing to be able to steward success well. How do, what does that look like? I sat down with um, with a, a young woman the other day. She wants to know how to get in the music business. I sat down with her, spent an hour, thoughtfully, really thinking about how to position her career. How can you know? How would she have you know? What are some some ideas? What are some lanes? And like that's just like one aspect of like a lot of different things. I think each one of us do to to give back and help. And I think it's like how do you steward that? You know, I'm taking you know. 
I'm able to start like the spiritual community in my home. We have like live music at my house. And, you know, I think there's a bigger goal of like what you can do with success. And I think it's, it's, it's like, for me, it has been like, how do I use this to really be my calling? And like, part of my calling, I think is, has been like, help people get further. Like, and, and that's something the three of us carry as a breakthrough in getting further. So, you know, I don't know. I think it's sort of how it's stewarded, you know, I think success and like finances, if it's, going to, you know, can also be, you know, squandered too, you know? So it's a great question. Yeah. yeah. I could talk for hours on that question, Gabrielle. I think it's a very powerful question. And I think for me, it's been a constant unfolding of reframing of what success meant to me. I think in the beginning, I definitely, definitely, definitely believe since I was a young kid that if I had a, reached a certain level of success and external things that it would fix internal stuff and it can be very existential lonely road when that doesn't occur because there's a now what that happens well what now I, you know this was supposed to be the answer and not a lot of people talk about this because it would destroy the hope that some external type of thing could fix the internal but i do talk about it often actually i'm 20 years sober and i talk about it all the time to younger men and to men in the meetings and stuff and i respect what this guy is doing i would take a i am going to take a little different route with Isaiah, my son. I agree with Dave that I want Zay, I call him Zay. I want to really support him and nurture him to do with whatever he loves. Um, and if he wants to make music, that would be amazing. I'll have him be the youngest ASCAP composer of all time, but um, LOL. <laughs> but but um, at the same time, it's a weird balance because I, I love him and I want to give him these beautiful things and I work so hard to provide a certain type of life. However, to me, the joy of accomplishing is really where the secret, the sauce is, right? And so I want him to know what it feels like to do it, to accomplish it, and then take it to another level, which is, listen, even when you do, there will still be work to be done within. This will not fulfill you. Do not treat money and the external successes looking for fulfillment. You can treat it as pleasure and a means to provide, but it will not seep in and fix the internal struggles that you have, period. Well, that's a realistic way of looking at it. This, look, this Hobby Lobby guy is insane anyway. So who knows? <laughs> Poorly. He's not, the, he's not the person I would look to for that kind of advice. So it's like, yeah, look, you, I think you guys have nailed it. You want to, you want to set a good foundation for your kids. Okay, mm -hmm. but you're also not going to deprive them of everything you've worked for in life. You know, you want them to have resources to chase those things that they care about and they're passionate about. Yeah, I just I do think it's like a Russell, I'm with you. I can talk forever about like the success, bring happiness and all and all that. And what is life? And and so I do think that, you're, you know, that void, no matter what, it, it's always going to be there. You know, if you if you don't in terms of money's not going to solve it. So I am with you. All right, guys, let's do the rapid fires. David, best piece of career advice you ever got? Trust your gut. Russell, a setback in your life that was tough, but in hindsight, you can say everything happens for a reason. Yeah, for sure. Drug addiction, alcoholism, and then getting sober. Nice. Adam, if I wasn't running signature tracks, I'd be... <laughs> I'd be, um, man, I think I might be a minister down in Africa helping with this orphanage to keep it real. Wow. Or I'd be involved in like the modern day 
Christian worship movement of music, perhaps helping helping create artists and work with uh, developing uh, music talent that has a higher uh, seeks God's presence. That's another conversation we need to have another time. <laughs> but okay, go ahead, Gabrielle. No, no, David, <laughs> in five years, I see myself. <laughs> Doing whatever my wife says. <laughs> We're having this debate right now. Um, I see myself doing the same thing, probably, you know, um, adding properties to the portfolio and, um, you know, maybe doing some flipping type stuff as well. Russell, the worst thing about having my own business. The worst thing about having my own business. Man, I don't even. Okay. All right. You ready for this one? Yes. That when you reach a point of success and it turns into a machine, you have to find another why. Okay. Mm. Purpose. Per finding purpose. Okay. Like that. All right. And this is a question for all of you guys. So, Dave, I'm going to start with you. The moment I felt like I made it was. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. Becoming a self made millionaire. Ooh, Ooh. Russell. Uh, <laughs> um, I definitely think I agree with Dave on that. I think when I bought my first Ferrari, that sounds so freaking cliche. You know what? <laughs> also, honestly, winning ASCAP and ASCAP award, I think in 2017, where I walked the stage with like Hans Zimmer and some of the, and Vanacore and those guys, there was an element there. Adam. Mine, I've two times, two times. One was when I told my mom what payout I had on a quarter and I felt my mom jealous of the amount of money I made. <laughs> nice. Good and point, telling me how I still owe her money when she let me money for 20. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second is um, when the New York Times article came out mm -hmm. in the style section and we looked and we were in print that said um, the title was The Sound of Housewives Everywhere. And uh, that's when I felt like we made it. Oh. Wow, you guys. That was a good one. Well, thank you, guys. I mean, the success couldn't have happened to three nicer, kinder, and, and you know, uh, customer service, I got to say, is top-notch. What you guys do for your clients and just me being one of them is is unlike any. And I am just so um, I'm just so proud of you guys. I feel like, you know, I, I can't even imagine five years from now because I feel like you've already done so much. And she means that. We want to, I just want to take the, the uh, time to just thank you so much for championing us because I mean, from our early inception days, you gave us a break. You've always um, helped get us gigs. You've always been championing us. So we're so grateful for you and just really appreciate you. Very yeah. grateful. Thank you so very, much. Very All the years have been amazing and always supportive and we're truly, truly grateful. Oh, always. And uh, you guys provided our theme music, which hopefully this podcast will be super successful and it'll just like hit, hit, yeah, yeah, hit. Yeah. Let's go. Let's thank you guys for doing it. that, by the way. I know, right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Oh, thank you guys. Take thank care. You, thank you. Right, bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Tell Us Something We Don't Know. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at TUSWDK or email us at info at tellussomethingwedontknow.com. Audio and editing by Simon Greffenstedt and theme music provided by Signature Tracks.